Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Uh, Today we are kind of wrapping up or we're taking a little break from the book of Matthew. This is our last uh, sermon on Matthew for uh, a couple of weeks or several weeks because we're going to be focusing on missions. What's interesting though is uh, what, where we've ended today, the passage that we're ending on kind of really fits in with missions. And, uh, you know, I would like to say that I was the mastermind behind this and scheduled it perfectly or that the other pastors, we, we all got together and figured it out and scheduled it perfectly, but we didn't. Um, this is what we found is this is what God does is uh, we kind of end up preaching on passages that actually are very relevant for the time. And that's the amazing thing is God does that quite often, doesn't he? Uh, what, what we need from his word, sometimes when we open it up for that day, that's exactly what he gives us, is what we need. And so Hopefully, we will see that this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 9, and just four verses, verses 35 through 38. So, uh, hopefully, if you are note takers, you can grab your worship guide, and on the back, there's some uh, lines there that you can take some notes. I would encourage you to do that. We'll be looking at different verses, and you can just jot those verses down and later look at them for yourselves. But let's begin this morning with a quick review. So far, we have seen Matthew make an argument for Jesus being the promised king of Israel. That's what he is doing so far. He starts with a genealogy in chapter 1 showing that Jesus is the descendant of King David. And Matthew also points out other prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the foretelling of this unique man who's going to come and establish God's kingdom. So that's kind of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And then as we continue on, we get to John the Baptist, and he's kind of the announcer or the one that's heralding the one that's going to come. He's, he's out ahead of Jesus making a pronouncement of his coming. And then we see that it's John the Baptist that actually baptizes Jesus. And if you remember this amazing event that takes place when Jesus comes out from the water, the heavens open, and the voice of God declares him, his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So it's, it's this introduction to Jesus and who he is and what he's about. And then from there, he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days by the devil. And he comes out of that and lands in Capernaum, a city there. And he kind of makes Capernaum his home. 
And from then on, it says, Matthew states this, that Jesus is going throughout that area, the Galilee, and preaching and teaching and healing. Well, what is he preaching? Well, the words are repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's preaching about the kingdom. And as he's doing this, he's gathering disciples. He's walking around by the sea and he sees fishermen and he says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And these, these men drop what they're doing and they start following Jesus. They're his disciples. And as he's ministering, the disciples are following along, but also he, uh, Jesus is healing and through that he's gathering crowds. More and more people throughout all the region are coming to him with the sick, with the demon-possessed, and they're wanting Jesus to heal them. And so Jesus decides, as he's healing them, to go along the side of this mountain and begin to teach. And what does he teach about? The kingdom of heaven. That's how he starts his message. It's, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So throughout this sermon, remember, this sermon's long, right? Remember, we've been in it, we were in it for a very long time. It's three chapters long, the sermon that Jesus gives. And then it continues on throughout the chapters after that, chapters eight and nine, and talks about his healing ministry, healing a leper, casting out demons, healing the sick. And so we, we see this progression. We see how we get to this point uh, throughout all this, throughout his teaching and healing, it shows his great authority over all creation. And it's pointing to the fact that he is this promised king who's going to usher in God's kingdom. This is the one. He has the authority and the power to do it. And so this brings us to our passage this morning, which is it's a shorter passage, but a very significant set of verses. Matthew records an important transition here in the life and ministry of Jesus. So we have read how he has been calling disciples and drawing crowds and now looking forward, we're going to see Jesus prepare his disciples to carry on his ministry into the rest of the known world. And so these three verses are the introduction of this significant transition. In a sense, what he is doing here is passing on what he's already been doing to his disciples. And so this is kind of the main idea of these four passages. If it's a little cheesy, by the way, just so you know, I thought of this in the middle of the night. Okay, so that's, that's my excuse. But it's this, pray and anticipate what the Lord will do because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. It's kind of the idea here. It's the call to pray and anticipate what the Lord will do because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And so with that, let me read this passage 
for us this morning. And if you could stand with me, if you are able, uh, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. And you can follow along as I read it out loud. Verse 35 And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can gather together and, and look to your word. We ask, Father, that you would speak through the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our minds and our hearts. And through it, Lord, we would be challenged, we would be encouraged to see with your eyes that the harvest is plentiful and the call for us to pray for laborers. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so I broke this section down into three sections, and so let's look at the first one, and this is basically a summary of Jesus's ministry, a summary of Jesus's ministry. It's only verse 35, and this verse might sound familiar because we've, we've actually read it before, back in chapter 4. Uh, and it's almost identical. So chapter 4, verse 23, it's almost identical to the verse. And so uh, let's, let's put that up on the screen. I think hopefully, yeah, we're going to have to go um, look at them uh, each individually here. But this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is what it says. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now jump to our verse, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And so they're very similar. And uh, when you read this uh, grammatically, what Matthew is doing here is, is what we call an inclusio. It's kind of a, a grammatical way of, of structuring uh, literature, and it's called an inclusio. Basically, it's, it's a bookends, right? It, it begins with a statement, and it ends with a statement. And so why is Matthew doing this? What is he, why does he repeat these phrases? And so First, let's just look at the context around these two verses. So if we look at before what takes place in chapter 4, what happens there, it's Jesus calling disciples. He's calling them from 
from the sea, from, from the fishing boats, and they come and they follow him. And then, of course, it's his ministry and he's gathering crowds. And then, and then it shows, and, and it's kind of like um, Matthew is slowing down what's taking place, right? So if this was like a movie or a video, there's a part where it's, it's kind of fast, it's going through all the information quickly, and then all of a sudden, boom, it slows down into him, what? Preaching and teaching, right? That's the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then it changes into the healing ministry. And along the way, the disciples are there. They're, they're watching this. They're ex- experiencing this. They're, they're hearing the teaching. They're seeing the ministry, the healing, and the casting out of demons, And so there's a way in which Jesus is showing them or or an example for them of what ministry is all about. They're following along as the disciples. And then if you look at our context and you look after that in chapter 10, what does Jesus do? He sends them out to do the ministry that he was doing. The ministry that he was doing, now they're sent out to do. And so this is kind of a picture of apprenticeship, right? If you uh, think of um, today, uh, different apprenticeships that we have, whether it's construction or engineering or uh, electricians, you know, they, they have these apprenticeships where, yeah, you're in, classes and, and learning, but you're also coming alongside the experts and watching them work and then working alongside of them and then them kind of sending you off and doing it yourself. So it's that kind of picture here of apprenticeship or discipleship. Um, just a, a personal example of this, this last week, uh, Violet is in softball, and so they always do once a year for softballs. They ask people, they recruit the parents and the coaches to go to the fields and get the p- fields prepared for the season. And so we, right after uh, our Sunday morning, you know, right after church, we headed over there, and um, we brought Miki along. And we got out there and we were thinking, you know, Miki would go off and play with the kids. And we grabbed shovels and rakes and started going out in the fields. And, you know, they were dumping dirt all over the place and we were spreading it out. And all of a sudden there's Miki there and he is, you know, antsy. And all of a sudden we see him grab a rake and he sees us raking and moving this dirt. And he wants to come along and do it himself. And so here he is. And so these guys are instructing him of where to place the dirt. And as the day continues on, Miki gets more and more into it where he says, you know what, this rake isn't doing it for me. I need a shovel. And so then he grabs the shovel and it was, it was great. There is um, the front end loader or whatever would pick up dirt and bring it in and, and the guys would take shovels and start you know, dumping it out. And all of a sudden, at the end of the day, Miki's in there elbowing them out of the way like, no, 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 guys, I got this. And he's, he's doing it as well. 
but it's this idea of coming alongside of someone and, th- and them watching, right? And then all of a sudden taking it over, continuing on with the work. And this is very similar what's happening with Jesus and the disciples. So far, the disciples have been watching and learning the ministry. And now in chapter 10, Jesus will give instructions to them to go out and mirror his ministry. And what will be interesting is, is yes, he's going to send them out for the time, but then they will come back. And I'm sure that there would be some debriefing that goes on, but it's preparing them for a time when Jesus will not be there. Because remember, it's the 12 after Jesus' death and resurrection, they will take on that ministry and it'll start in Jerusalem and then into Judea and to the ends of the earth. And so this is a precursor to that time. And we're also going to see in chapter 10, okay, let me back up. When, he's, when Jesus is going through his preaching ministry and teaching ministry and, and the healing ministries and these miracles, it continually, uh, the theme throughout is his authority to do it. And what we're going to see in chapter 10, that when he sends out his disciples, he gives them the authority to do it. He says, the authority that I have, I now give to you. Go out and do the ministry that I'm doing as well. And so the question is this for us today. What is the ministry that God has given to us? What is the ministry that we have today? And the example is Jesus. You know, throughout the Gospels and how we see him serve and minister and also how we see the disciples later Throughout the epistles, we will see examples of how they minister and serve. And I think they're passing on the same kind of ministry for us today. So how does that look for us today? And how are we passing it along to the next generation? What does it look like for us to pass on the ministry of the gospel to the next generation. All right, so that's point number one. Here's number two. It's the heart of the minister. The heart of the minister. So the first one is the summary of Jesus' ministry, but now it's the heart of the minister, verse 36. It says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Again, I want to point out that Matthew seems to make a distinction between crowds and disciples and the Pharisees and scribes. Throughout Matthew, you're going to see these two groups come up. The disciples are called and they follow. And the crowds, they gather because of the healing ministry Jesus is doing. And so there's this interesting relationship between Jesus and the crowds. I guess there's a, 
interesting relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes too. But here with the, the crowds, the crowds that follow Jesus, they at times see what he does and they marvel. There's times when they glorify God because of the miraculous healings. Crowds will even later, we'll read about, the crowds will honor him as king by laying palm branches and cloaks before him as he enters Jerusalem. So they celebrate him, give him honor. But also, we'll see a time when the crowds will reject him and call for his crucifixion. So I'm not saying that these are the same crowds from beginning to end throughout Matthew, but what I'm trying to point out here is that crowds can be fickle. They can, they can praise at one time and then all of a sudden curse at another. And, and we see this, uh, there's a lot of examples with this throughout the scripture. So if we fast forward to the time of Paul, where he is going around and he's preaching in the cities like Ephesus and uh, Corinth and Philippi. There's times when he goes out and, and the crowd uh, embraces him and invites him. And then there's times when it's actually the Pharisees and the Sadducees in those cities get upset with his message and they actually stir up the crowd against him to such an extent where they drag him out of the city and they try to kill him. There's another time where Paul enters the temple in Jerusalem and he's preaching and teaching and uh, the Pharisees stir up the crowd and they begin beating him to death. And it actually takes the Romans to come in and save him from his own people. And the interesting thing in, in that account is um, it seems as though the crowd had no idea why they were even beating on him. Because the, the Romans come in and they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on and they're confused. They can't figure out, they can't get the story straight. They're, they're hearing that this is some Egyptian uh, that has come in and has stirred up you know, the, the Jews. So it's like, where are they getting this information from? And so crowds can be easily stirred up. There's, there's a, um, even today, there's studies done with crowds and probably just looking at this throughout history and looking at, at different crowds and, and how they can be stirred up where um, crowds can all of a sudden develop a mind of its own. And so people that have these values or these morals um, will will forget them while they're in the crowd. They will do things that they would never have thought of done before because of this crowd. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that maybe at a concert or at some large event where there's a ton of people, but you can almost get the sense of, of the, uh, the intent of the crowd or, or um, the heart of the crowd that you are in. And so 
this is kind of the same thing. But here's the point in all this, what I'm trying to point out here about Jesus. And I think this quote helps us grasp this. This is from Frederick Bruner, who is a theologian and commentator. He says, mission is not motivated by Jesus' disgust for people because they are such sinners, which, hey, we are sinners. That is true. But it's not motivated by that, nor even by imperial sense that he has a right to people, which properly understood he has. Instead, mission is motivated by the more appealing fact of Jesus' compassion for helpless people. Mission in Matthew's gospel, therefore, is not first of all an enterprise by which missionaries go out and censorously shape up the world. So shaping it up, like trying to fix the world. Instead, mission first task Mission is first a task in which disciples go out and compassionately help people out. And how do they do that? By bringing and representing the good news. So think about that. And I think for us today, this is really important to understand. Because in our world today, with with the chaos that we see around the world and even in our own country, the divisiveness that we see and the combativeness, it's so easy to kind of think to ourselves, and I know I do this myself, you know, if, it, if we can just get in the, the right kind of policies or the right kind of message or the right kind of people to be in charge, I don't know, people like me who think like me, this world would be a better place. And it's almost... It's almost like this idea that, you know what, if we can just make some changes, we can bring in a utopia on this earth or in this world. Kind of a, um, what's the the old song? We are the world, we are the children. Um, We are here to make a better place. So let's get, is it let's get living or something like that? Let's, Let's do it, right? Let's shape up the world. But that's not what Jesus, his focus is on. As disciples, we are called to compassionately help people and lead people to Christ by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and representing the gospel of Jesus. By being examples and proclaiming his word. You know, oftentimes, I I think of it this way, um, we know Jesus promised that he is coming back. That's a guarantee, he is coming back. And he does say that he's coming back with a sword to divide. It's a sword of judgment. And so when it comes to people and it comes to this crowd, there's this picture of, boy, you know what they need more? It's not a new policy or to impose our morals upon them. What they need is Jesus. They need salvation. They need 
their hearts of stone transformed into the hearts of flesh. And you know what? That's what we all need. Here's the wonderful thing, and this is something else to remember. You know, we were that crowd. You see, Jesus calls disciples out of the crowd. And so to think that we are different in some way or that we're special in some way, no, 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 we were part of that crowd. And it was by grace through Jesus that he called us out of that crowd to make us disciples of him. So here's what's important. Notice how Jesus sees the crowds. And this is a perspective that he has on people. And I, I think this is, this is a wonderful analogy that Matthew gives to us because um, we can have a different perspective here in how we view the crowds. We can, we can shake our heads and be like, oh, and be so frustrated with what we see. But this is how Jesus, this is his perspective. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Think about that. Sheep without a shepherd. And, and first of all, this is an indictment on the religious leaders of that day, which are the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus has been and will continue to be harsh on them, and it's for good reason. And it's because they're, they're actually acting a lot like their forefathers in the Old Testament. The leaders of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Here's a great example of this. This is during the time of the exile. This is when Babylon comes in and uh, captures Israel and sends the people out into exile. And if you remember, we did a series on the book of Daniel. So this is during the time of Daniel. There's another prophet during that time, named Ezekiel. So this comes from Ezekiel chapter 34. So let me read this to you. Follow along as, as I read this. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, right? Leaders of Israel, you shepherds who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they, because of it, they are scattered they are scattered because there is no shepherd and they become they became food for all the wild beasts that's the kind of picture that matthew is describing for us when he says that they are like sheep without a shepherd think of it if there is no shepherd these sheep are just straying all over the place and the danger is there's wolves, and I think somebody said this morning in Sunday school class, coyotes, right? These, these beasts that will devour them, and that's the danger. That's what Matthew is pointing to. So instead of seeing the crowds and being like, oh, 
and being frustrated. It's actually seeing them like sheep in danger. They need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them and to guide them and to point them in the right direction. This is the picture that Matthew is giving to us. They are sheep that are scattered. And he describes this as being harassed and helpless. And that word harass can also be translated distressed or weary. So it's, it's, drawing, it's drawing attention to Jesus. Jesus points this out in Matthew chapter 23. He's going to describe this. Um, and this is in verse four. He's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes here. He says, they, the Pharisees and scribes, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. And they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. So Jesus says that these crowds are, are helpless and they have these burdens that are impressed upon them or given to them by the leadership. And they're lost. They're helpless. And it's this picture of them straying or laying around, which is a very dangerous for sheep to do. There's no direction. And, and brothers and sisters, doesn't this kind of sound like our world today? That there is no direction. We, we have a society today where we don't know if we're men or women. We question even that, our identity. We are directionless. And you know, I, let me give, uh, give this illustration or direction. Because oftentimes when we think about this, and, and I think about this, I go, how in the world did we get to where we're at today? How did we get here? And uh, my daughter, Grace, uh, she just finished the paper uh, she, she had to read a book called uh, Consequence of Ideas by R.C. Sproul. It's a great book. I would recommend it to anyone. But it's kind of going through kind of the, the understanding of, of people's thinking throughout the generations by, by going to the philosophers of the times. And at some point in time, the, um, we, we started thinking that everything kind of derived from God. And, and that was the starting point. But then we started to take God out of that position. And naturally, what came into position was us. So we take God off the throne, and we put man there. And there's a philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche, I'm sure you heard of him, that made this statement, God is dead. And so it's it kind of cool what Grace did in her paper um, she said, okay, uh, who killed him? It's kind of like this murder mystery. Who was it that killed him? And she goes through these different philosophers, like they're suspects. Well, it could have been this one or could have been that one. thought it was, it was pretty cool. The, the point is this, though, is that with this philosophy um, that was written about and that was promoted and that was taught through the arts as a society, we started to take God out of our world, out of our society. A great example of that is, is our schools. 
our public schools, we've decided to take God out of it. When it comes to education, there was a time when he was involved in it. It was, it was part of the education. Now it's not. We have taken God out of the mainstream, out of movies, out of music, out of art. Isn't it a wonder, I mean, that we're directionless because of it? When we take God out of the picture, and Frederick Nietzsche actually describes it that way, and so he, he gives this illustration of, of, this, uh, of this priest or this minister, or the, I think it's a monk, who comes down from the mountains declaring God is dead and we have killed him. And he's going on in this rambling and saying, Where, how do we even understand what is up and down? How do we ever even understand direction? If God is not our compass, what can we use? Because he's the only reliable one to be our compass. And so this is what Jesus is portraying her, describing, and Matthew's describing here about this crowd. They are sheep without a shepherd, directionless. And this is a great example of what it's like today. So it's very easy for us today to get discouraged or maybe be stricken with fear going, oh man, where are we going as a society? But Jesus looks at the lost sheep and he says, this is an opportunity. He has compassion for them, but he also says, this is an opportunity. This is exactly why he came. So this trans transmits into our third point here, and that is the call to pray for more ministers. Praying for more ministers. This is verses 7 through 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here is another analogy that Jesus gives about the crowds. So the first picture or perspective was one of the crowds being like helpless sheep. Now Jesus looks at the crowds or their situation, okay, that the crowds are, are kind of like this harvest that is plentiful. So it's not looking at the cup half empty. It's looking at it as half full, like there's, there's opportunity here. This is an opportune time to go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. We are going to see that in chapter 10 with the disciples. That's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He sees the need and he says, oh, it's time to move. And you disciples are going to help minister. And so Jesus gives a command, and this is a very important first step. Because if you think about it, for the disciples, this could be kind of intimidating. They just seen Jesus like raise a girl to from, from the dead and, and calm a storm with a word and cast out demons and demons flying into pigs 
and like they're going over a cliff and dying. I mean, this is some intense stuff. And I could imagine being a disciple and being like, um, <clears throat> what do you want me to do? And so we can be intimidated by the call to be a minister of Jesus. A lot of times we're intimidated just to, to talk about him or to proclaim the gospel, let alone pray for people. So here's a wonderful first step that God gives us. It's in our text. And it's this, to pray earnestly for the Lord to send out laborers. Pray. Oh, that is a good first step. You know why? Because we know that God works through prayer. We know that God works through prayer. That, that prayer is powerful. The Spirit of God moves through it. And so for us today, this is the call to pray, specifically to be praying for laborers. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting how Jesus describes it because later, Jesus is going to send out the 12 to be the laborers, but not here necessarily. Here he's telling them to pray for laborers. He's not even saying you are the ones. Right now it's just pray. And I think that is a wonderful calling for us today, especially as we come into Missions Month. See, missions is this, this call. Remember that Jesus says, go out to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is, a, that is a call for the church. Of course, we are the church. We are a local church. So we are called to do that as well. And how do we do that? Well, we, there's those guides that, uh, that I showed you earlier on, that um, Marion showed you, of these missionaries that we have that we send out to all the nations and they're serving, they're proclaiming the gospel, and they're also representing the gospel in their lives. But here's the thing. It's not just missions in the sense of sending them out in the world, but we, as disciples of Christ, as the church, are called to be missional. So we think of missions, we think of that word missions, and we think, oh, those people that go and get sent out overseas. No, 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 the church itself is missional, which means this, that we are disciples or examples of Christ wherever we go. Wherever you find yourself, you are a disciple of Jesus and called to be missional. So where is that for you? Where is that for you? Maybe as you walk into Barney's to buy groceries. Maybe you work at Barney's. Maybe it's when you're walking down the street. Maybe it's when you're at work engaged with, with uh, the, you know, other people, other employees. Maybe it's with your employers. I remember a time 
Uh, I used to work at UPS. For about 13 years, I worked for UPS. And um, at, there was a time when uh, I, there was a disconnect in my life of being a pastor because I was a part-time minister at that time. There was a disconnect, almost like a changing of the hats that took place. And uh, when I walked into UPS, now I was this UPS employee, and nobody really knew what I did outside of that. And I remember um, struggling with that at times, and, um, and I won't go get into the, the testimony of what God did, but I remember uh, fin- finally where uh, God basically said, no, 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 you are wearing one hat. And it's not just being a pastor and a worker at UPS, but you are my disciple. And you are called to represent me wherever you go. So I remember at work, there was a, um, a supervisor that at one point, you know, just through conversation, he knew that I was a Christian and him coming up. And, uh, and here's the funny thing. The supervisor, his, his main priority is to keep us working, right? So he's, he's hounding us, keep moving, keep moving. And he comes up and he's like, Mike, I am in trouble. I am hurting and I don't know what to do. And I'm doing my work and I'm like, you know what, at this time, I don't know what to do either because you're, I'm supposed to be working and you're asking me to be a minister. But we, we have these opportunities all around us wherever we're at, even at work, whether we're an employee with other employees or ministering to our employers or if we're the employers, the opportunities to minister to the employees. So even in the workplace, we are called to be ministers and especially we're called to be ministers in our homes. Wherever we go, we are called to be missional. So whether it's out in the world or when we walk through our door at home, when we're in our living room, when we are engaged with our spouses that need to be ministered to, or our kids who definitely, I think, need to be ministered to and be pointed to Christ or our grandkids. We are called to be missional. And so here's how I think we're called to respond. Or um, The question is, is how do we respond to this message and this, this picture that Matthew is giving us to be compassionate ministers to the people around us? who are like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the question. Number one, do we see our need for a shepherd? Do we see our own need for a shepherd? And do we submit to the leading of the great shepherd? So the first thing is, is are we following? Are we following him? Are we obeying him? Number two, do we have compassion like Jesus? and pray for workers to be sent from among us. This is the call that Jesus is giving to his disciples, and I think it's a call to us as well. Do we have compassionate hearts for the lost, and are we praying for them? And then the last question, how might you be called to be a shepherd to those around you?
How might you be called to be a shepherd to those around you? And with that, let's have the worship team come up as I pray and close. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how the spirit can convict us and challenge us. Lord, you have, through example, shown how, um, how important it is to have compassion for the lost. Jesus had compassion for the lost, and he, he went to them and cared for their needs. He also spoke the truth to them. And sometimes the truth divided, sometimes the truth defended, but Jesus proclaimed it out of love for them. Lord, let us see that example and do likewise. Lord, we are not praying for opportunities to share the gospel and to be examples of the gospel. Lord, those opportunities are already there. So the prayer is that we would see them, that you would reveal them to us and that we would respond accordingly. Father, this is our prayer, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.